it gave me a lot to chew on. I listened to it a lot at the time, and I think it sort of expanded my my sort of sonic, the sort of sonic horizon. If it changed my playing, it it gave me, I guess, just a wider range of sounds that it seemed acceptable to incorporate in my playing, and sort of like things that I would have regarded as glitches or uh, you know really unpleasant sounds became more attractive and more suggested themselves as more useful. This is Essential Tremors. I'm Lee Gardner. I'm Matt Byers. The idea behind this show is to have musicians and other creators talk about songs that shaped who they are. We're not looking for favorite songs necessarily. We're also not looking for songs that they'd choose to take with them if they were stranded on a desert island. What we're looking for are songs that have significance to them. Songs that might have changed the course of their creative lives or their lives in general. Our guest for this episode is Owen Gardner of Baltimore band Horse Lords. Drawing on sources rarely referenced by indie rock bands or bands playing traditional rock instruments, Horse Lords music, especially live, is mesmerizing. Over the course of three albums and numerous mixtapes, the quartet has continued to refine their complex polyrhythmic attack. Gardner, a native of Davenport, Iowa, first came to Baltimore to attend Goucher College. The first song Gardner chose as being highly influential to him was Consume Red by Ground Zero. first song is uh, Consume Red by Ground Zero from the album uh, Consume Red. And this is a song I first heard uh, I was a teenager. I'm not I can't quite remember how old, but I had heard, I read in the, uh, the Sunday New York Times art section, I, I think used to be a lot stronger than it is now because I learned about a lot of uh, a lot of music from that. And I, at the time I was living in Eastern Iowa and I didn't actually have a lot of access to this sort of stuff, but I could sort of imagine all these like incredible things happening elsewhere in the world. And I read about Atomo Yoshihide and this this sort of scene going on in Tokyo. Uh, and it was sort of the first time I became aware of noise music, which I, I don't think I really... I didn't really understand that that was something that was going on elsewhere in the world. I sort of sort of thought of it as just a Japanese thing for quite a while. Anyway, at the time I had heard about it, so I was reading about that. It was very compelling uh, to me, and I just, so I, I spent a long time trying to track down some of this music, and I, I couldn't find very much of it. But I was able to find this, this CD of Consume Red, and it was really not... I wouldn't exactly 
exactly say I was unprepared for it, but it, it was not like anything I'd heard before. Um, it starts off with this really long uh, loop of this uh, Korean shamanic musician whose name I can't remember right now. And then, yeah, what it builds to and how it builds to that, this I just found really compelling and really unusual. And just uh, the harshness of the textures and uh, the way it developed, so sort of develops intuitively, but also, but not in a way I was accustomed to. So it was, uh, I found that very attractive. Were you already playing music at that point? Uh, yes, I was. I was, but nothing like that. Um, I wouldn't have really even had the tools at the time, I don't think. But yeah, I played, uh, I was already playing music, both playing in a very different direction, playing in like sort of, my dad plays like sort of old time string band music. Um, and I would play some of that. And then also I had like a, like a rock band of my own. It gave me a lot to chew on. I listened to it a lot at the time and I think it sort of expanded my my sort of sonic the sort of sonic horizon if it changed my playing it, it gave me I guess just a wider range of sounds that it seemed acceptable to incorporate in my playing and sort of like things that I would have regarded as glitches or uh, you know really unpleasant sounds became more attractive and more suggested themselves as more useful as, as well as like silence and uh, you know there's a really wide range of, of sound on this and then inside you know sought out other recordings by some of these people and I, uh, I found some and they, it's a really uh, extreme sound world so I don't know if it exactly changed my playing but sort of what could uh, what I saw as acceptable musical material definitely expanded a great deal where did you get a copy of the Ground Zero CD in Dubuque, Iowa? I think I ordered it from uh, Moondog Music, which is where I got everything. Uh, I don't believe they had a copy in the store, but uh, I did get some surprising stuff there. Uh, I don't know where it came from, but uh, like I got my first Faust CD there, and uh, a lot of uh, my early exposure to Krautrock was just stuff I came upon there which was really surprising. Because um, I don't think anybody else was listening to that sort of stuff. The second song chosen by Gardner was Nathan Frazier and Frank Patterson's Old Cow Died. This was a song I also heard as a teenager um, under very different circumstances. This was something my dad played for me at some point, and I was, he was uh, an old time musician, and I was getting interested in that um, myself after sort of being a kid, thinking it was just the lamest 
you know, it's, it was the music like my parents were into, and it's, I couldn't imagine anything less cool. Um, but something at some point changed my mind, and I started uh, I started finding that I was really interested in it, and I I started playing the banjo. But I hadn't heard, and I, not a lot of people do ever hear uh, this sort of repertoire, which is. I think by the time it was recorded, sometime in the 40s, it was quite a, it was quite old-fashioned, and it was by, it was being made by black musicians who were, at that point, very few. Um, there was sort of one of the last generations of black string band musicians. So I guess, uh, like hearing hearing the sort of source of the music that I was listening, the sort of old old time, especially banjo repertoire, uh, it was really interesting to hear sort of the roots of that but also but roots that sort of suggested a very different uh just a very different set of techniques for one thing and just sort of a different approach in many ways very different rhythmic vocabulary kind of a different approach um altogether even though that had been this this was the genesis of the music i was more familiar with which is a lot more straightforward and sort of as a player it's much more predictable um and although it's very driving it's not doesn't have the sort of rhythmic variety this stuff uh so i was very I don't know. I was very, very drawn to it very immediately. And uh, unfortunately, there's not a whole lot else out there. There's some some field recordings and archival recordings. I'm not sure there are any commercial recordings um, of this sort of stuff. But yeah, I've listened to as much as I could. And I, I don't think it had any immediate impact on my playing, but certainly long term, it allowed me to draw a lot of connections and sort of hear the like, hear the Africanisms in the playing and sort of be able to connect those to other musics I was interested in and became more interested in later and more familiar with. I'm interested by the idea that this is music that you grew up hearing or you grew up hearing music very much like this. Mm -hmm. But when you heard this, it it stood out as different Mm -hmm. for you. And I don't know that a lot of people, lay people, I guess, would hear the same things. What do you hear that's different when you hear this as opposed to the music you were more familiar with, the string band music? I guess maybe it would be to, uh, yeah, maybe it would be hard to appreciate if you didn't, if you didn't play the banjo, I think some of it would, I was mostly listening to the banjo player for one thing. Uh, so it might be details too specific to the banjo to be maybe of a lot of interest to, uh, a wider audience but yeah just the sort of rhythmic the rhythmic variety and the the complexity really stood out to me as opposed to you know banjo music is i think unfairly derided for its sort of monotony and that's i again that's unfair that's uh there's a lot going on there but there's not as much going on as we hear in this and just he's, he's constantly varying what he's playing you know it's really really virtuosic in a way that i had not never heard before in a much more interesting way than a lot of virtuosic banjo music is yeah i don't know the 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 notes are weird it's just everything's everything's a little off and but in a in a a way that was clearly fully realized and suggested this sort of another world of maybe not another world but uh another way of doing things you know i i remained as interested in the sort of white banjo banjo style and repertoire but this sort of it sort of opened up i mean for one thing a sort of a different part of the history that's sort of obscured i think obscured in part just from the lack of the uh the lack of documentation maybe it just makes historians not terribly interested in it um because there's not a lot to go on um but also because i think it just makes the things get so much messier if you have i don't know if you have to deal with uh you know how i guess how white and black people in america have interacted with each other that's a lot of uncomfortable or an entirely uncomfortable history 
but yeah, I think the music itself has a lot going for it. And to me, it sounds very unique to me anyway. And I, and maybe it would take a little more immersion into sort of old time banjo music, especially as opposed to, to bluegrass banjo, which is a very different matter. So it might take a little more immersion to appreciate some of the difference, but I think uh, that immersion would be worthwhile. Do you still play banjo? I do sort of just on a hobby basis mostly i mean i'm still interested in it i still try to like learn things i try to learn tunes but i it mostly just gets transmuted into the guitar although the technique is very different there's a lot definitely a lot of my guitar playing comes out of although the technique is a little different there's just there's a lot of overlap and i use a lot of sort of cliches that a banjo player would use that a guitar player would not and the tuning i use is is pretty similar comes from a, a particular banjo tuning um, so i think about it a lot but i i don't play it as much not as much as i'd like to and not as much as uh, anyone hoping to be a you know an actual practicing banjo player would The final song chosen by Gardner as being crucial to his development as a musician was Wezen by Mauritanian musicians Kweli Ould Said and Kleid Ould Melid. <laughs> And I was a little dishonest about this one uh, in that it's this track is sort of a result of an earlier period of listening to stuff that I would not be able to uh, to furnish you with because it was all just just private recordings that that were not I wouldn't I wouldn't have access to now and I would not be able to share with anybody. But this uh, let's see I'm trying to work backwards here. This compilation was made by a guy named Matthew Lavoy who lived in Silver Spring and he I had heard of him through his work with Voice of America. This is around 2008, I believe, or 2007-2008, when I was 22 or 23, depending on which year it was. And yeah, I'd heard about, he had written about Mauritanian music on his blog um, through the Voice of America radio show, uh, Music Time in Africa, which he was working on. And I contacted him because I was interested in doing some sort of academic work about Mauritanian music at the time. Um, so I spent a long time, I would go down to Silver Spring and we would just listen. He had, he had a closet full of tapes of, of Mauritanian music and especially guitar music. And we would just listen, you know, listen for hours and really just get inside of this, uh, that sort of sound world. And at the time I had been, I had had sort of a, uh, I was hardly playing guitar at all at the time. I was having sort of crisis with my, the guitar itself, I think just, uh, it's, struck me as sort of inadequate to what I wanted to do with uh, with microtonality and things like this. And hearing this music was sort of I both, you know, extraordinary, I think, in its own right. But as a guitarist especially, it sort of gave me a certain kind of permission to... Uh, it brought a lot of things together, I guess. Like, I, I feel like I can hear a lot of the, the sort of banjo techniques I was interested in in this kind of playing, but a but it's sort of elaborated into, I mean, this is classical music, 
of Mauritania, so it's elaborated into this very, very rich, sophisticated system played by these, you know, just like, and played by just the most virtuosic musicians I'd ever heard. But uh, most importantly, they were playing on modified guitars because their system has, their tonal system involves more notes than, than ours. And that was a sort of, as I said, that sort of, I felt like that gave me permission to to do that myself, to modify my guitar, and that's then sort of suggested what I could do with it going forward. Yeah, so it sort of, to some extent, I guess, provided a solution to this this sort of crisis I was having, as well as, again, just being a, really immersing myself in the music like that was also really educational, just learning, it's kind of a different, a different time sense, and a, it's a very different way of presenting music at all, but especially presenting this certain kind of material. It's really, like, hypnotic and almost like narcotic but at the same time very exciting and sort of you know these things are happening at unbelievable speed but it it adds up to being this sort of really just trippy uh <laughs> i don't know unique experience that i have some trouble ex- describing it's interesting because hearing that track it does not i feel like i don't have to make too many leaps to to hear where that came out and what Horse Lords does, or at least you're part of Horse Lords. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. It was very, very influential. And I'm still, you know, the playing is, is beyond me for the most part, but I I picked up what I could. And I, the general, uh, uh, I don't know, I feel like certain aspects of it I've, I've been able to pick up, but I'm still, I think it will probably be the rest of my life trying to learn to actually like play any of this stuff you know with any accuracy you have a guitar which just it it works the way it does it is what it is and you run into these limitations and you know you try to do what you can with them and it's it's interesting to deal with them but i guess this was the first time i saw people who were like you know mutilating guitars and remaking them in order to do what they needed to do which in this case you know it's like a thousand year old tradition like it's like they they have an idea of how music works and the guitar doesn't fit it so they they make the guitar bend to them and so yeah and that sort of said to me that i could do the same thing it's like i don't the sort of morphology of the guitar doesn't make sense to me so i need to uh i need to bend it you know (laughs) bend it to my will and so yeah it was very uh very meaningful encounter with that music. Could you explain a little bit about how your guitar is different than, you know, one you could buy at Guitar Center? Uh, because I don't think I've heard that discussed or, or, or written about much. Well, so a conventional guitar has uh, 12 frets, 12, excuse me, 12 frets uh, to the octave, meaning it can play, it can basically tw- play 12 notes and they're all they're evenly spaced. Um, the frets may not appear evenly spaced, but sort of uh, in terms of pitch space, they are equally spaced. Um, so anytime you know any uh, adjacent frets will have be play the, playing the same interval as any other set of adjacent frets. And I had started working with a system called Just Intonation that people could be familiar with from maybe the work of Lamont Young or, or Harry Parch, where the intervals are based on whole number ratios between between notes. So the intervals the interval sizes are variable and they're they're related in this precise way that I feel like gives one a lot of again you get a large variety of intervals but you also 
they have sort of timbral implications that they wouldn't on a conventional guitar, you know, and you have, you know, whereas on a normal guitar, you'd basically have the option of playing like a major chord or a minor chord. In this case, you have basically limitless decisions about what sort of qualities, even in that range, you know, there's, there are different sort of degrees of majorness or minorness. And then, you know, there are neutral intervals that are exploited a lot in Mauritanian music between those. Um, intervals that are neither major nor minor and you can get into a lot of sort of unfamiliar territory it's i i find very exciting and yeah it just sort of opens up sort of new new avenues for for exploration and you know it has a lot of implications for like timbre and melody and harmony they're all all sort of changed and even rhythm is you know you can apply this sort of thinking to rhythm as people like Kamlan Nankaro had and come up with you know sounds sounds you've never heard before and it's a, I don't know, it's a, a sound I find very intriguing, very, has a lot of uh, entrancing potential. <laughs> Essential Tremors is hosted and distributed by AudioStack and WYPR Baltimore. Look for and subscribe to our podcasts at wypr.org slash podcastcentral, including Life in the Balance, a monthly program that asks, what are the systemic issues in Baltimore that keep marginalized people from reaching their full potential? And what are the solutions to those problems? Also new to WYPR is The Noir and Bazaar, which explores the dark and strange stories we tell ourselves about human existence, occult history, ghosts, haunted houses, and secret crimes, with a special emphasis on stories that draw on the rich history and culture of Baltimore. For more information about Essential Tremors or to connect with us, go to EssentialPodcast.com. Thanks for listening.